Welcome to the True Voice Podcast with your host, LaShawn Smith. Hey, welcome to True Voice, where we learn more about today through stories from amazing people. This is season three. I'm your host, LaShawn Smith. Here on True Voice, we talk with people who have remarkable stories that entertain, teach, and offer a human perspective on how today's most pressing topics remain deeply connected to our past. I hope you enjoyed today's episode with Marvin Charles. Marvin, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, LaShawn. I don't know what I'm in for, but I'm, <laughs> I'm, in, I'm here and I'm ready. Let's make it happen. I appreciate you joining us. So, you know, for folks who aren't familiar with your story, and I know you've told it many times, so uh, we, won't, we don't need to spend all of that time rehashing that. I'll make sure in the show notes, some of the links where you've shared your story in the past are there. But walk us through, you know, the big milestones in your early childhood that made up for a, you know, really remarkable journey in early in your early childhood. Well, uh, LaShawn, I, I got to tell you, I don't know if I have any remarkable childhood milestones. First of all, I just know that I was born and at nine years old, I found out that my mother and father weren't my mother and father, but they essentially were my adoptive parents. One of them passed away. So I was told abruptly that those weren't my parents, that I was a, a ward of the state and that the people who had me at that time were going to take us in as if they were doing us a favor. And so, and this was the end, and I don't know if, if this stuff happens today, but as a kid growing up, you always had that aunt and uncle who you had to dress up to go to their house, they had plastic on the front, and you didn't want to, you didn't want to go there, right? You, right. And, uh, and so now I'm living with these folks, and, and they just had a different perspective. I think they came out of the South, they came to the Pacific Northwest, they were actually, some folks lived a better life than most African-Americans because of the opportunities that they had. And so I guess we were fortunate enough to, although a bit young to recognize that as we got older, much older, we saw some of the advantages that folks who came up out of the South, they had maybe better opportunities than most. I I did recognize that. Yeah. Now, uh, tell folks, where were you at? Uh, what city were you in at this time? And uh, what, what age was it when or how long did you stay with that, that next family? So I was we were in Seattle, Washington. I was born King County Hospital. It's known now as Harborview, but at that time it was King County. And so I, I knew that much. And then um, we went to I guess my mother passed away in 1965. They buried her on my birthday. And I stayed at home until I ran away at seven, 16. And I ran probably the only person in history who ran away to the youth center. Hmm. Right? Now, I, why was that? Well, I had a teacher that told me something that made a lot of sense to me in high school. She said, if you run away, the police will just take you and bring you back. So if I were you, I would just run to the youth center. And I never forgot that. So I went to the youth center. Essentially, what I did was turn myself in. They didn't have stuff like child uh, protection services or any of that. You know what I mean? Right. So um, I went there and told them what was happening in my home. So they kept me there. They called my guardians at that time and told them, you don't have to look for him. He's here with us. They scheduled a court hearing. Three days later, they sat me between my aunt and uncle and the judge asked my uncle, did you do everything this child said you did? And my uncle said, yes. 
I did, Your Honor. I believe if he lives in my household, he must abide by my rules. And the judge slammed the mallet down and said, I make this kid a ward of the court. Right. Wow. Mm-hmm. But the unique thing about that is where I thought I was open to a great opportunity. I realized today that that was probably the worst opportunity I had because I was free. I didn't have anything, but but I was open to a world that I knew nothing about. Mm-hmm. Right. So what'd you get into? First, nothing. I moved into a, a, another foster home and I just did what I did. My I cleaned, I cooked, I, I just straightened up. And then the kids in the neighborhood made fun of me. The kids in the house made fun of me. And I just got sick of being goody two shoes. I wanted to do something different. And this was the 70s. Cats was wearing afros and bell bottoms and black exploitation movies were out. And I just gravitated to some things that I had no access to prior to that. Mm. Uh, I think the first thing I did was I saw Superfly and I lost my mind. (laughs) No joke. I say that because... I think there were a lot of kids at that time who were watching those movies and they lost their mind as well. I was in a community of cats who who saw those things, who who wanted to live those things. And 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 I think to me, it's no different than the kids who saw New Jack City. Right. right. Or saw those things and and their households were broken. And so they gravitated to the same things. Hmm. That's interesting. So because of the structure of where you were coming from, you were like, I'm just going to go out in the world, explore and figure out what, what connects with me. And some of these moments from pop culture, folks you're hanging out with, you're like, all right, that's it. That's what resonated. Well, you know, it's, it's funny because some of that's true, but one of the things I met my best friend at that age and what became my best friend is because I saw he had a mom. I saw he had a dad. I saw he had a little brother. And that was my perfect of the ideal family. Mm. And because I do this work in fatherhood, I reflect that the fact that I wanted to hang out with him because I just wanted his mom and dad to call me son. Hmm. Wow. That was my initial bearing. But then after I was being accused, which I to this day don't know why, of being a bad influence, a bad influence on kids and all of that. And it was funny because I liked what he was doing or where he came from so much, I just followed everything he did. Okay. Right? Not really realizing that that what I was following him into doing, his parents didn't like, so they blamed me for what he was doing. Right, right. You, you see what I'm saying? Yeah, so, yeah. So, so you were just a scapegoat. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, unknowingly. Sure. And I yeah. think that a lot of, children nowadays that grow up in environments like that, looking to be long and being a part of something, that's some of their same situations. Yeah. Now talk about how, you know, that led you down a certain path that wasn't positive and the impetus for you turning things around. Well, so you're absolutely right. At that time, they were looking desperately for that father figure. The only persons that would, uh, allow me to be in their company were these guys who were pimps, right? Mm-hmm. And, 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 and I was fascinated by them, their lifestyle. And so I, I did. I, I traveled to different places and I got into that community. 
And in being in that community, I was afforded the opportunity to learn a lot of their behaviors, a lot of their characteristics. I hung in that crowd. And, and, and to be honest with you, it probably sounds really sarcastic now, but I was accepted and I was willing to do whatever I had to do to be in that because that was something I wasn't used to, being accepted. Right, right. Being part of, you know, I mean, use the word community, <laughs> community yes. and, and, and pimps, right? Like, like, yes, it, it's still a community, right? And yes, so no you're question. like, all right, what's the rules for me to be successful in this community? Yes. And, uh, and, and really all it was was just being obedient. It's like anything yeah. else in society, just be obedient, come along. So I did that. I spent quite a few years in that community. But it's, it's really crazy because what came out of that community was totally unexpected, like children, mm-hmm. a drug habit, hmm. criminal backgrounds, you know, all of these things. In the midst of it, it seemed okay. But towards the end, when the merry-go-round started to slow down, right, it wasn't fun anymore. I had to provide, I had a five-year-old son that I had to provide for, and I had no skill sets. I didn't have a de- degree, or education, a trade, a tool. I didn't have any of those things. But what was faced with, what I was faced with was the opportunity to have to provide for this young child. And, uh, and I didn't know what to do. And so it gave me some real, real reality checks, some things I had to really check myself about. What I found was easy to do, but not as easy to do. And I was keep blaming people for why I wasn't where I was and where I should have been. Blaming mm-hmm. people, making excuses. Because yep. it, didn't, it didn't change the situation at all. So I needed to do something. So Now tell me, what was the moment? I mean, I'm sure it's a culmination of experiences, but, and, and I'm going to oscillate here. We're going to start talking about your organization and then come back to your personal story. But but before we move off of your personal story, what was the moment that said, like, I'm going to turn this around. I, I got to stop doing some of these things. And uh, like, like, you know, what were what was going on in your life that made you find the conviction to kind of live life in a different manner? That's an easy one. I realized that my children were being raised in the foster care just like I was. Mm. If if it didn't work for me, why did I think it was going to work for them? And so that just, I put my foot down. And whatever it took me to do to make sure that my kids didn't grow up like I did, I had to do it. And I knew that. It it was really a defining moment. Wow. No, that's, uh, yeah, that's powerful. Now, let's pause on that because I want to come back to kind of your origin story and some things that happened in your 40s. But Tell me about this this organization that you started and uh, kind of the mission of uh, of who you're trying to serve and why. Well, that, the name of the organization is called DADS, D-A-D-S. But DADS stands for Divine Alternatives for Dad Services. And it, it was really an opportunity for when my kids came back home, I came to a realization that there were people that I got high with, I did time with, I did crime with. And we all had children. We all were faced with some of the same obstacles. But somebody was going to have to turn that around and be an example to that community, that community Mm. that I I got out of. But in order to be an example, you had to make sure that you met the course, that you applied yourself and came out on the other end, whether it was winning or losing, as long as you made it through certain obstacles. One was just be clean and sober. 
Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And so I joined that community. And then the other one was a faith. And so I joined the faith community. And I, I looked at, I was a person who never knew anything about faith, who never entered into faith. So I thought. Okay. But when I, re- I realized it took a faith to follow the devil off into the deep, dark secrets that I did. And I thought, well, hey, if I gave him all that time and was willing to go to hell, why don't I give this person of Jesus Christ the same energy, the same efforts and see where that gets me? And if it doesn't get me anywhere, I can always come back. Right. Right. And so that started my faith journey, which was closely tied and connected to the fact of this organization that we started. You know, God told me three things when we first got started. Don't go looking for anything because what you need, I'll bring it to your door. Don't charge anybody anything for your services. And what I give you, give it away. And for 22 years, we have lived that code out tremendously. Yeah, that's fantastic. Tell me, you know, I mean, I'm sure you have an endless list, but you know, for some of the fathers that you've interacted with and you've helped along the way over those 22 years, you know, what's maybe one or two of the stories, the individuals that, you know, stood out and left you with, you know, either, you know, just a fulfillment that you really, you know, added some value to their life or, or someone who maybe even inspired you? So the last part is, uh, is cemented on all the stories. They all inspired me hmm. because I, I get to reflect on what I used to be and what I used to do. And every time a new guy comes in. And so let, let me just go right to the point. I have one story that I that I was introduced to a, a, a young African-American gentleman about almost 20 years ago. He was introduced to me by a donor. Right. Mm-hmm. A donor went down to the Union Gospel Mission and was helping out down there and met a guy and he used to bring the guy out to his cabin and do something. So he introduced me to this guy. So in working with this guy, he would always fall off and come back and fall off. So one night he calls me and tells me to come pick him up. And he's at a dope house in South Seattle, in the South Sound. So mm-hmm. I go pick him up and I bring him to my house. And my wife says, no, he ain't coming in here. You, 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 he can't come in our house, right? Okay. So I, I made a, a, a place in my garage for him, and uh, and we talked. And I, I really liked this guy. Knew he had potential. So then he disappeared on me, and I didn't see him for a while. He called me again, and at this time we had a connection to put him in, putting people in houses. And so I got him into a house, and uh, then he lasted there for a little while. And then he disappeared on me again. And, and, then, and then he came back to me showed up in my office and he had a young lady with him and he said, this is going to be my wife and we're going to get married and the whole nine yards. And, uh, and I was like, well, okay, man, you know, I support whatever you do. And so literally he did, he went and got married and she got pregnant and they had a kid. And then the, 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 the mother of the kid, the the wife, Pat, she just, she left. She Hmm. left. Wow. So now he's left with this baby. And this guy is in his early 40s with this baby. Okay. But I seen a light switch go on in him Mm. that I could not believe. But that's that light switch that I had always saw there, right? Right. That child is 13 years old now. This is how he describes it. I'm a felon with a federal job. 
He's been working. He's been providing. He just purchased a home. Mm. He has been. I, he just joined my board as one of my board of directors. Right. Mm-hmm. Those are the kind of stories that he will tell you himself. His son said this. We asked him, what do you think about dads? He said, dads is all I know. That's what his 13 year old son said. Right. Yeah. Dads has been in my life, my whole life, and you folks have always wrapped your arms around my dad and made everything possible for him. And so that's all I know. And that came from his son. Wow. I mean, you're doing good work. That's the type of energy you get back from that, right? Amen. 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 You, uh, on your website, you call out some different services that the organization does. I want to get into a couple of them. One, you know, just I see child support management. You know, how are you helping these fathers kind of think about their responsibility, how to get organized? Like, like, what is the impact that you deliver through, you know, through those services? So we don't have any magic keys or magic wands. We don't get you out of paying child support. We don't, we don't do none of the things above. What we call ourselves are system navigators. And what we do is help you navigate systems that you first understand the system as opposed to not understand. Mm-hmm. We only run from what we don't understand, right? right? So I'll tell you one of the most common areas, and this, I, like I said, I've been at this 20 years, and so it amazes me how a mindset is still the same mindset it was 20 years ago, okay? So most folks don't understand how they get caught up in child support. Well, in low-income communities, if you are you have a child, you're usually there at the hospital when you have the child, right? Uh, the, both parents are there. And then the nurse will come in with a set of papers. You look at them and you sign them. Well, most men think they're signing a birth certificate. But what they really sign is a paternity affidavit, which is a legal binding document that says, even if you find out this child is not yours, you will pay child support for this. Mm. And I, I know that because in all settings where I'm at with men, whether it's a prison setting or or a setting, I'll say, how many of you signed a birth certificate when your child was born? And everybody in the room raised their hand. I said, that's not what you signed. Nobody's told you that. But you signed a paternity affidavit, which is a legal part. Now, I'm not saying don't sign it. All I'm saying is know what you signed. Right. 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 And so it's things like that that we try to navigate. I want to inform you because I want you to prepare your son or your niece, I mean, your nephews or other community members that are not aware of this. Like I said, I've been telling that same story for 22 years. Mm. Again, it's just informing folks, right? Right, right. No, that's powerful. mm. Yeah, knowledge is power. Um, I want to talk about another service here, and this this obviously ties into some of your story. So let's, let's switch back to that. Family reunification. Now, you're telling your story, and then correct me if I'm getting this wrong, but you know, you you grew up at nine years old. The folks you thought were your parents, uh, you found out they weren't. You get taken over to you know this other family. You're like, this not working. You roll out. You go through this life's journey. You're doing this work, and then in your 40s, tell me what happens. Well, it's crazy, but God has remarkable sense of humor. Okay, so. My wife and I, we get married, we put our family together. We work really hard to try to put our family together. So our children get come home. She goes to pick up her kids for their first visit home. I get a phone call from a lady. She says she's a search consultant. She lives in Renton, Washington. And a lady paid her $400 to find me, and it was my mom. 
Well, I thought, I thought, what is this, right? You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I first thought she was a telemarketer, to be honest with you. You know what I mean? (laughs) So when when my wife comes home, I get the address and I tell the lady, listen, I need to, we need to handle this today. You know, she was talking about, well, I got to get the paperwork and you go back and forth. No, 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 no. I need to do this. I didn't wait 42 years. We got it. So she agreed. She called my mom. Come to find out my mother was only living about 10 to 15 blocks away from me. Man. Right, right. And then I pick my mother up the next day to bring her to my house and we pull up to my house and she said, do you live here? I said, yeah. She said, no, you can't live here. I said, yeah, I do. She said, this was my brother's house, your uncle. We've had barbecues and everything in this house, right? I know, it was crazy, right? What part of the city, in the CD or somewhere else? Oh, Central District. I mean, I'm sorry, it was in the South End. It was the South End, just off of of Rainier and Orchard. It was crazy. That's wild. Yes, yes, it was. And then we're looking at a photo album, and I see another uncle of mine who was my classmate and teammate, right? And so um, what what we looked at was this, and this is what started the ball rolling. It, it, it was fascinating. So my uncle, mother, which was my grandmother, was pregnant the same time my mother was. Mm-hmm. My mother was 14 years old. My grandmother was on state assistance. And at that time in the 50s, if your parents are on state assistance and somebody else in the home has a baby, they have to put that other baby up for adoption. Mm. Okay. Because both families can't, the state is not going to take care of both of these mothers in the same house. Now, of course, things have elevated or graduated since then, but at that time, that wasn't the case. So they put a number of children up for adoptions. Hmm. And to know that I had a history, to know that I had a history like that was overwhelming because I thought I had no history. Right, right. I mean, at that point where you resigned to thinking like, well, I'll just never have that information. Obviously, you figured out how to move forward. But once you found out this was true and you got reconnected, uh, how did the relationship develop? It was crazy. It was really crazy. It For me, that particular summer that it happened, there were 200 family members descending on Seattle for a family reunion, mm. right? And I had no idea. I thought I was it. Uh, one of those ideas I had when I lived that other lifestyle was this was my family and my family was only going to be this. It wasn't going to get any bigger and that was that. And to find out that all that was a lie was, it was refreshing to know that. And, and I really garnered family and relationship, even today, way more serious than that. I, here's what I did. I did my research on my family. I can go all the way back to, to the late 1800s. Mm-hmm. And in my house, I have a wall that about eight or nine years ago, I dedicated to my children because I wanted them to know their family tree, their background. I even have adopted family members in this thing. And I gave that to them so they would never, always know where they came from, always know where their parents came from, know what they went through. Because I grew up not knowing, and that's a loss that's really devastating. Right, totally. So I wanna hit on two things. One, first, the moment. I want to go back to this family reunion first for for a moment. You show up. I mean, did you go to the reunion? 
Yes, I did. It was. Were a, you like, who are all these people? Like, like how does how does your brain? I mean, you're in a, you know, you're a grown man, but you're still all these people that you don't really have a one on one relationship with. When you show up, like, how do you navigate a party where almost everybody there is your relative that you're meeting for the first time? It was actually fascinating because I mean, I prayed this prayer in treatment where I where I got into a relationship with Jesus Christ. I prayed this prayer, Lord, help me put my family back together again. Mm -hmm. So what I saw was he was honoring that prayer. That prayer was being honoring through almost every action that I was taking. So Mm -hmm. I embraced that moment, that moment to where I had all these people, people I didn't know, people from all over the country, my blood is running through their veins. Mm -hmm. Oh, that was awesome for me. I couldn't see it any other way, right? I don't know if everybody else felt that way, but that's not, that's how I felt, right? Yeah. I spent 40 years like Moses running around in the wilderness, right? You know, not knowing where I, who I was, where I came from, not being able to offer my children. I have eight children by five different women, and I've been trying to make sure that I speak enough truth in their life now, although their beginning was really not a premier beginning, but because of how we got here, I want to make sure that they don't lose sight of who they are. Right. Even though they've been through what they've been through, that this is your family and this is the makeup of your family, but this is still your family. And that just means the world to me. That means mm-hmm. the world to me. Yeah. Now let's switch to, you know, back to your to your mother specifically, you know, from that moment, you know, the family reunion is obviously, you know, a point in time. But how did you build a relationship with her, spend time with her moving forward and through the years? Well, my mother passed away about 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. So so I got 10 years with her. That's Mm. the best 10 years of my life. Right. Yep. My father and mother got married right after their, our whole reunion, right? My father, my, my mother hadn't seen my father in 40 years. My wow. Mother. And so I went, I, we, my mother found my father for, he was living in Oakland, California. I flew down to see my father. And shortly after that, my mother flew down to see my father mm-hmm. and they hadn't seen one another. And then the next thing I know, my father asked my mother to marry her. She said, yes, they got married. And this thing hit the front page of the Seattle Times. It did the national news. Next thing I know, we're sitting on Good Morning America telling the story of right. my mother, my father, and myself. And that that was just a you don't you can't get a better start than that. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You yeah. can't really get a better start. And then what it did was it drove home to me the importance of family and the role of a father in his family. That just drove it home. One of the things I I always ask people, I show this little video clip in our classes that we do. And I ask them, what did the three people in that video have in common? Meaning my mother, my father, and myself. And it was fatherlessness. Fatherlessness Mm. was the connectivity. And if you notice in this country, our problem is not drug and alcohol, not crime. What it is is fatherlessness, right? Mm. You take a father out of the home, the family doesn't die, but it opens it up for infection. Mm-hmm. And that infection is what kills the family off, right? So what are we trying to do is really just show a father his importance. 
doesn't take anything away from the mother, but it says that when God designed this family unit, he put both of them together, right? right. Yeah. And their importance in the lives of their children is valid. And so I, that's all we try to do. We just try to help guys understand that. Now, you know, as we get older, the luxury of, you know, hindsight and the wisdom that comes from seeing how everything played out. And it's very obvious, right? Let's let's rewind or maybe, you know, think current state. There is a version of you or me who is today 17, 18 years old. And they're just like, man, y'all don't know what y'all talking about. I'm not listening to you. I'm going to do it my own way. And they start repeating some of these same mistakes what, what's the message or the framework or the approach? I mean, you, you know, you got the toolkit. What are the things that you think that, you know, these young adults need so they can avoid those potholes and they can kind of understand the importance of some of these lessons earlier in life? That's a great question. First of all, you can't guarantee that anybody's going to listen to you, right? Sure. So you have to present the information in a manner that they just receive it, Right. So it doesn't mean I'm going to be your buddy. I, I had the same problem with my own children. They all said, yeah, dad, that was when you did it, right? So you just lay, I call it the Hansel and Gretel syndrome, right? <laughs> you, you just lay out the breadcrumbs, right? Mm-hmm. And eventually, eventually they'll pick up one, they'll pick up two, and they'll realize, hey, this is, this is, this ain't bad. This is helping me jumpstart some things that, had I had any other route to go, I wouldn't have been able to do it. And that's what we do. I don't try to tell anybody what they need to do. What I say is I'd like to make a suggestion that if right. you try this, it might work for you. And we do that across the board, across yeah. the board. No, that's smart. Yeah, I find that this is people in general, that in our youth, we are horrible, like horrible at distinguishing what is a generational change versus what is a timeless, you know, attribute. And so we, we can't, we, we, you know, like, you know, the 17 year old says like, yeah, maybe what you're saying is true for you, but, but it doesn't work like that anymore. And they're horrible figuring out what things are truly, you know, from a previous generation versus what things they'll come to understand as they get older. But to your point, sometimes we, you know, we make bad decisions and we got to put in the work to go fix those and hopefully, you know, programs like yours are helping folks tackle those and, and make fewer of those mistakes on their journey. Here's one of the keys to that, especially when I talk to young people. I tell them my dirt as well. Mm-hmm. Mm. I tell them I was just like you and I made the exact same mistakes. I yep. did when, when I came to when that decision came, when I came to that fork in the road to make that decision, I made the same decision you did. But I had to pay an extra price for that. And that's what I'm trying to keep you from doing. Right. When you talk to them in that sense, it some way somehow makes a difference to them. Yeah. Interesting. I want to get back to some of the, the you know, the folks that you all help out. How do you source people? Like, how, how do you find a father? How do they find their way to you? How, how do you get connected with some of the people that you're helping? That's another great question. Well, one of the things we have not done is advertise. When it was just my wife and I, we started in our home just a few blocks away from here. Mm-hmm. And guys just found out about us by word of mouth. They were pulling up to our house. My landlord actually thought we were selling drugs because that's how many men were pulling up to our house to get 
child support issue <laughs> worked on the case. <laughs> she did. Wow. So, wow. So we knew we had to go find a place to call home and do that. But literally, it's been word of mouth. Mm-hmm. I ask guys all the time, how did you hear about us? Well, now we have agencies giving out our name and address. Uh, child support is one major one. I ask guys how to, all the time, how did you hear about us? Child support told me to come see you. Mm-hmm. Or the agency 211, how did you hear about us? 211 gave us your number. So it, it's a community-wide situation. We have an office in King County and one in Pierce County, and we've had both of those for quite a while. Mm-hmm. So it's great. Yeah, you got a footprint so you can hit a broader footprint. One of the things I was going to, I was thinking about, you know, specific to fathers, I mean, this is so core to your your organization's mission. You know, this is, uh, we are recording this in June and, uh, you know, later this month, uh, it will be Father's Day. What do you think either fathers or any of us who are thinking about the fathers we have or don't have in our lives, like, like, What's a good thing to do around this moment, you know, being introspective, to be thoughtful, to, to take some action? Like it's a good forcing, forcing function when we have these events. Father's <laughs> Day seems to be especially related to your organization. You know, like what, what advice would you give folks to, to take on as we think about Father's Day this year? So I would be remiss if I didn't say this, but on next Saturday at five o'clock, we have a virtual event taking place. Our website is aboutdads.org. And I would invite you to come and, and we call them watch parties. Create a watch party. Our, our, our One of our participants in this particular event is Doug Baldwin. Mm-hmm. Doug Baldwin will be in our event and he'll be just having a dialogue around fatherhood. He, right. myself, Jeanette and myself, we will be talking about, I think you'll be it would be something that would be very interesting for a community to, to participate in and watch and be involved in. But I got to tell you, one of the things that I always want to be able to make very clear to people is just honor your father. Mm. Honor your father, right? Just honor your father. Fathers are like this. You don't have to do anything for me. Just, just respect the fact that I got a chance to be your father regardless of whether it was good or bad, know that. I always tell guys, well, my, my dad wasn't anything. Well, ask him about his dad. Mm. That came from somewhere. You know what right. I mean? We want to blame our dads. For, but what was his environment like? What, what was he raised up in? It'll give you a little more clarity in understanding your father. And then I always like to say this. A father's job is to prepare his children for a future that he will never see. Hmm. Mm. If you look at it through those lens, your father's stake will raise pretty high. Right, right. There's, I mean, that's that's fantastic advice. You, you said something that connects to earlier part of this conversation, you know, folks blaming their, their father or someone else. You know, a lot of times when you don't have a stable structure in life and, uh, you know, we, we all have uh, these points where we're facing some type of, you know, crisis, struggle, we make bad decisions. Sometimes we do victim, we get in kind of this victimhood mentality, right? Where we're blaming other folks. What have you found to be, I mean, obviously it's a mindset situation, but what have you found to be part of the, the toolkit to help people break out of that so they can take control? 
Wow, you have a list full of them, right? (laughs) Let me say this. What I've learned over in my 22 years is that fathers want to be heard, Mm -hmm. but there's no place that you can go where they can be heard. Mm. So we try to create an environment. I have a table in our office that's in our boardroom. I call it the strongest table in the world. Why? It's because there's a lot of men who come into that room and we just listen to them and they're able to get all of that stuff out of them and leave it right on that table. Because mm. they just want to be heard. Nobody's hearing me. That's We hear this over. Nobody's listening to me. Nobody's hearing me. I've never ran across a father who didn't love his children. Right. The way he loves it might be different than what we expect or believe it has to be done, but that don't mean we don't honor it. And one of the ways we honor it is just by listening to them. Even with our own fathers, let's just, dad, just talk to me. Mm -hmm. Tell me, tell me, I want to know how you had it. But nobody ever asked their dad those kind of questions. There's always been an expectancy of him, right? When you went to him for those expectations and he didn't fulfill those expectations, the tables turn. And I'm saying that we have to do a better job just Just listen to your father. Let him dump on you for a change instead of you dumping on him. Hmm. As you've had these conversations, you know, what are some of the things that it feels like fathers, you know, they need to get off their chest? Some of the things they call out that, you know, when they're at that table, the strongest table, and they're having that moment, what are some of the the topics or the, the things that you've heard people share? How majority of the fathers have been misunderstood. Because they've made decisions sometime that didn't go the way that popular conversations or or, uh, um, expectations, they weren't as popular. Not understanding that this is his first rodeo, too. Right. Mm. Yep. He's never been here before. There's no instruction manual to tell him how to do it. It was trial and error that he was raising you. And guess what? You're going to have to raise yours in trial and error, right? So you're feeling your way through this. And I think sometimes what we do is we charge them with, well, you should know better. Well, says who and Mm -hmm. how, right? Who's to say that he didn't know better? Just because I'm in agreement with doesn't mean he didn't know better. He did the best that he could. Right, right. But know this. I just turned 66 last month. Congrats. It took me a long. It took me a long time to get to that understanding as well mm-hmm. myself, mm-hmm. right? And so I would just again say that fathers, if you can just hear your dad, yeah. right, or hear your son who's becoming a father, right? We need a place to be able to talk about these things that we are faced with as a father, and there's not really a lot of places to be able to do that. I thank God for this because I, my voice can be heard. Mm-hmm. Some people can, my mother used to say, eat the meat and spit out the bone, take what you can out of this and apply that to yourself. But my hope is that you would apply hearing, right? Yeah. Hearing. My mentor tells me that's why God gave you two ears and one mouth, because he wanted you to hear twice as much as he wanted you to talk. <laughs> Active listening. There we go. Yeah, there you um, go. Before we wrap up, a couple of things. One, for you personally, you know, you have a large family. As you think about your children, what do you want them to hear from you or think about you or, you know, just feel as they have their own Father's Day? 
you know what? I just want them to know that I love them, right? Mm -hmm. And that I might not have been the best person in the world to show that I love them, but every fiber in me was working towards showing them how much I love them. It wasn't going to always be in agreement with them or me, but that didn't take away from the love that I have them. I have one of my daughters who is my seventh child. I call her my life changer because it was her that I picked up and took to the hospital to leave on the steps of the hospital because I felt anybody could do a the, a better job than what I was doing. I was mm. a crack addict. I was having children and not being responsible. And then one day I made this decision to leave the house with her and leave because anybody could have did a better job. I unfortunately didn't do that. I didn't leave her at the hospital. I did. I took her to the CPS office and they gave me a stipulation to get my life right. And I took advantage of getting my life right. And then they came back home. And then my life started like a normal life. I got to raise kids. I got to provide nourishment for them. I got to do it for school, all of those things. And that was tough. Right. That was really tough. And that's what the normalcy of natural fathering brings to the table. And we all don't have it down pat. We all don't get it right, but we do the best we can. And love has a major component, plays a major role in trying to do that. Fantastic. You're dropping gems. You already shared about dads.org. We'll make sure that's in the show notes so folks can uh, visit the website and uh, we'll link to the event that you're having as well. You know, what's the last thing you would leave us with, you know, any advice or insight as we're thinking about our relationships with fathers or how we can be better fathers ourselves? So here's one that I will leave with you. If you know anything about the AIDS virus, you know that AIDS doesn't kill you. What AIDS does is breaks down your immune system and the infection that you catch is what kills you. Fatherlessness is the same way. Because you move a father out of the home, right? The family doesn't die, but it opens it up for infection. Teenage pregnancy, at review behavior, all of those things, criminal behavior, all those things. And so I would just say, and I'm probably kind of bias in this, right? Sure. But the father, keep the father connected to the home. Keep the father connected to children. Fathers stay connected to your children. Yeah, they might be upset with you, but I always say my child being upset with me is like when I used to do telemarketing. Mm-hmm. They used to tell you take three hard no's, right? <laughs> right? So if your child tells you, I don't want to be bothered with you, I can't stand you, take three hard no's before you give up. Don't just let that first thing cause right. you to walk away and lose right, sight right. of whatever. So, so that's what I would leave you. Great. Gems, I love it. Well, Charles, uh, thank you again for joining us and sharing your story. I appreciate it. This is a great opportunity. And thank you again for, I don't know how you picked me, but thank you for giving me the opportunity. Fantastic conversation. And thanks everyone joining us today with our conversation with Marvin Charles. We hope you have enjoyed your time. Please leave a great review wherever you listen to our show. I'm LaShawn. Thanks again. And remember, dream big, stay curious, and always share your true voice. See you next time. This is True Voice.